Hi, and welcome Hello back. There. Sorry. <laughs> no, no, you're good. <laughs> to season three, episode 15 of This Week in Voice. This is a special episode because if you're watching this on YouTube, you're seeing that we have recorded this on video, which we don't normally do. Welcome to the show. My name is Bradley Metrock. I'm CEO of Score Publishing, a company based in Nashville, Tennessee. Our sponsor for this episode of This Week in Voice is Magic and Company, a premier agency that has helped many top brands find their voice. A diamond sponsor of the 2019 Alexa Conference, Magic and Company's Ben Fisher spoke on the necessity of marketers to be thinking about how best to represent their organizations in this new voice-first era. We recommend them for any company looking to create a voice experience or brand extension within these nascent IoT ecosystems. Seriously, if you don't know what Magic Company is, if you don't know Ben Fisher, stop the podcast, hit, hit stop, hit pause, go to Google, look up Magic and Company, look up Ben Fisher on LinkedIn or on Twitter, hit them up because uh, they do great work. Uh, you'll be glad that you did. We are thrilled to be joined by... A superb guest, Elizabeth Robbins. Elizabeth, say hello. Hi, everybody. Elizabeth, Thanks for having me today, Bradley. No, of course, for sure. And uh, Elizabeth, you and your company, uh, Best Innovation Group, are doing some very interesting work. I'm just going to uh, yield the floor to you. You know, tell us who you are. Uh, tell us what you do for Best Innovation Group, and tell us what Best Innovation Group is and does. Okay, um, I am the product director which means I get to have my hands in a lot of the activities that go on. Um, Best Innovation Group is a company that was founded about five years ago by a bunch of financial industry executives. And John Best is one of our co-founders. He's our CEO. And um, we all come from some aspect of financial services. A lot of us have worked for financial institutions or worked in fintech or other aspects of the industry. And so we all have not just um, a direction, but really a passion for helping financial institutions become the best that they can be. And a lot of our work focuses on credit unions right now. Um, we're very uh, focused on helping small and mid-sized financial institutions specifically really grow and figure out how to dominate in their markets. So we offer uh, some products, some packaged software and, and other kinds of solutions in addition to our voice first banking platform, which we will talk about in a few minutes. We also do consulting, where we go in and help financial institutions optimize their operations and figure out how to leverage new technologies, especially to grow and be competitive against some of the global financial institutions that they're all competing against. And then uh, we also offer third-party development work. So we do a lot of work in the distributed ledger space where we build um, dApps, distributed applications for blockchain. Uh, we work a lot with Hedera Hashgraph. And so we try to work on technologies that are really up and coming, things that don't necessarily exist right now, trying to help the financial institutions look down the road and understand tomorrow's problems and start solving them today. So that's really the focus. And that really speaks a lot to how we ended up in the voice first space about three years ago, John Best, our CEO and founder, um, saw this voice first universe starting to explode. And, and he really has this gift for looking around the corners, right? And I say this about uh, Brian quite a bit. I, I look for people that can see around those corners much better than I do and try to figure out how to bring those visions into reality. And so John had this vision of this expanding universe of voice services. And he said, there are things that we need to do 
to properly position ourselves and our clients to be ready for this expanding universe. And that really set the tone for um, our voice banking platform, as opposed to just a voice banking application, and how we envision financial institutions being able to leverage voice in their organizations, both internally as an operational tool, as well as externally with their clients and members. So we are really enjoying being in this space because it allows us to, to merge this up and coming area of voice with an area that we are really passionate about for our whole careers, which is financial institutions and financial services. So our voice platform is the Financial Innovation Voice Experience. We call it FIVE. And FIVE is a product that we offer to financial institutions to offer to their members and clients. And it allows the end users, the customers of the financial institution to access their financial information with that financial institution, with their bank or credit union, um, using voice first, available on Alexa or Google. And the fact that I'm about to put another or on the end of that is the whole reason why we felt it was important to build this as a platform, because we don't want to create more silos of data for organizations. And really, when you think about what happens when you build an Alexa app, and then an action for Google. What you've really done is just create two silos that have to be maintained separately. Even when they're accessing the same set of data, you still have to maintain those intents and those slots and all of that in internal structure that makes you be able to talk to the device. You have to maintain that separately. And that just didn't make sense to us. So we wanted to make sure that our clients could have a single point where they could maintain all of the information they needed in order to service their customers. And so when one of our financial institutions um, has an end user who asks a question, they need to get the same responses and the same um, answers to their questions, regardless of which voice platform they're on. And so to us, it was really important to envision this as an end-to-end -end solution and how our clients would create and manage these voice applications uh, before we actually started figuring out who we were going to build it for. And now at this point, one of the things that I need to do is assess new voice services as they come to the market and figure out what's really going to catch and how is that experience for the end user um, going to meld with the experience that end users using other devices have, right? So we, we try to create this consistent, uniform environment to make sure that that experience is the same no matter how they're accessing it. Excellent. Yeah, no, that's a great explanation. And, um, you know, there's a great VoiceBot article. Uh, we'll try to link to it back in the show notes um, of, the, of the, this episode. There's a VoiceBot article from early February talking about the progress that Best Innovation Group has made in working with these credit unions. When you think about a credit union, you may not think vanguard of technology, but that's just ignorant. These credit unions are working with Best Innovation Group. Are, they're not just ahead. They're way ahead. Congratulations on all the work you're doing and looking forward to you all being part of the Voice of Banking Summit we're doing later in the year, too. Um, thank you for being on the show, Elizabeth. This is great. Thanks, I'm looking forward to it. With that, we will get to the news. And story number one, oops. <laughs> Google says Nest Guard's hidden microphone wasn't meant to be a secret. Oh, boy. So this is, uh, this is an interesting one. Um, uh, you know, Elizabeth, I, I want to get your thoughts on this really before I say too much. Um, you know, do you how does the story just strike you as a whole? Um, 
Do you believe Google? Does it matter if they're lying? Do they have they uh, worn out their welcome, or do they have a little bit more equity left in the bank? Share, share with share with me in the audience your thoughts as you look at this story. So, as somebody who's been in technology for my whole career, I can tell you that. Well. Yeah, it should have been documented, but it probably wasn't malicious. They probably weren't trying to sneak anything by anyone. Um, in most of my past um, engagements, we've always had this concept of something we called reserved for future functionality. And when you think about what that means, it means that sometimes when you're building something from scratch, it's easier to wire in things that you're not quite ready to use and be able to activate them with a software update later, than to have to tell people, oh, you know, we know that you bought this device and it's, you know, a couple hundred bucks, but now if you want this new functionality, you have to pitch it and get another one, right? So if you think about building houses, this is a great example. Um, if you've ever gone into a house that you were getting ready to buy into an unfinished basement and seen all of this plumbing in one corner that's all stubbed out, that's reserved for future functionality. The builders put that there in hopes that if you ever want to finish your basement and put in a bathroom, it's already ready. You don't have to dig up the concrete or, you know, run new plumbing or electricity or things like that. It's already there and it's just stubbed out and waiting. So if you think about what Google has done from that perspective, what they've really done is stubbed out what they knew was going to be the desire to have voice control or to have the ability to listen to the ambient environment and eventually be able to activate that functionality. Now they gave an example of glass break noise, right? As a way to trigger the alarm. And, and that's a great use case for a security device. But even as you look at the bigger universe of home control, eventually we need more microphones and more things because right now I have a device someplace and I have to walk into that room in order to do something. But eventually, you know, my entire house will be able to listen to me and be able to wake up when I talk to it. And, and I think this is more along that lines of really getting started down that path of, of, of having this ambient listening environment everywhere. So I, I don't think it was malicious and I don't necessarily think it was a mistake to put it there. I just think they probably overlooked documenting it. Um, sometimes that's a fine line to have to walk because if you document something that doesn't work, then people get confused or they get angry. Um, if you don't document it and somebody discovers it by accident, then you have this situation, which looks malicious. So I, I think 99% of the people who own and, and use those devices probably didn't even read the instructions, let alone the specs or the schematics, right? But for that small percentage of people who really dig into their technology, I, I can understand it was really disconcerting to find out that something was there. So I don't think anybody should panic or think that Google is trying to uh, spy on them through devices. I, I think they should maybe just be a little patient until they see what kind of plans. And now this may push their timetable a little bit or not, but I think once Google starts to unveil their plans for that future functionality, I think people will um, be okay with it. It's interesting. I, I like your, um, your reasoning. So as a lifelong gamer, um, I'm familiar with, and I hadn't even thought of this until you brought this point up, it used to be commonplace <clears throat> with um, with video game consoles. Um, you think about some of the Nintendo ones from the GameCube. You know, so it, it, pretty much anything mid '90s, uh, even mid '80s. The original Nintendo had <clears throat> ports in it that never got used, um, and um, and that continued. Um, and, and it was basically what you're talking about. It was. Um, the potential future functionality that was incorporated into the hardware. That's interesting. Um, that's, um, that is a, that's probably the best possible defense of 
Google in the situation. I, that, that's that's A plus. Um, I I don't think it was malicious either. I just think it was. Um, I mean, I, incompetence probably too strong of a word. It was just a it was a mis, it was a mistake. Oversight. Um, it, an oversight. Thank you. That's perfect. That's our word. Um, because um, when you think about the money and the time and the resources that have gone into the marketing spend for Google to catch up with Alexa um, here in the United States and frankly abroad too, it's been massive. So, you know, we've done stories on This Week in Voice about how massive it's been. They spent so much money at CES uh, you know, they spent a lot of money this go around. They've been, they built the whole roller coaster. Right. Uh, that was probably not cheap. The year beforehand, they made money, uh, they made uh, news all over the place for not anything else other than how much money they were spending on advertising. And there was reports on every park bench, every billboard, every free bit of real estate. Um, from an advertising standpoint, in and around CES, by God, that has Google's logo on it and Google Assistant, something or other. And uh, when you think about it from that lens, it becomes incomprehensible that's, that's, that news like this would come out. And I was reminded of something else, too, and I had to go pull this up. <clears throat> I remember there was some weird news with Google and, and Nest, um, which I didn't really even pay that much attention to at the time. It's just a weird headline. I pulled it up. It's back from um, uh, not too long ago, just about 30 days ago. Google is reabsorbing Nest, the smart home company it bought for $3.2 billion in 2014. So I think it's another item in Google's defense that this is this company is like, not fully integrated into Google just yet. You know, they they bought it in 2014, um, and then they did some weird thing where they reabsorbed it. I, I really don't even know what that means, but clearly um, it's not one and the same with Google. And I think that's why this is not going to end up mattering that much. You know, this is not strike one, two, and three for them. This is strike one. Um, and so, um, you know, that's, that's the way I look at it. And I think soon this will be overshadowed by the next thing that somebody does that takes our attention. And by the time they get to strike two, we may not even remember strike one. Well, that's so, true. Well, strike one can be erased, um, you know, okay. by adding new features and doing things. It doesn't have to just stay like that. And, um, yeah, I, they, they, People want to get upset about stuff like this. They want to because it's it's uh, you know privacy is is so much on our minds. Um, but it'll take a little bit more than that for I think people to run Google Homes back to the store and say, "Give me my money back." Um, any other thoughts on that? No, I, I think that was that was pretty much it on that. I I wasn't all that concerned about it. Okay, all right, good deal. Story number two. Our VoiceBot.ai story of the week, VoiceBot.ai, giving voice to a revolution. Great news and commentary site. Seriously, if you're listening to this or watching this, uh, if you don't know about the site, I don't know how you know about us. Go find out. Do yourself a favor. Apple acquires PullString. So this um, is another sign of the times. M&A activity. I want to get your thoughts on this, Elizabeth. Um, what stood out to you about this? Um, were you familiar with PullString beforehand or maybe not so much? Um, just share, share with me in the audience uh, your thoughts on this one. Yeah. I, um, I, I wasn't, it's not something that I follow regularly, but I was aware of some of their past work. Um, but, you know, honestly, I think the thing that jumped out to me was finally, right? Finally, Apple wants to get into this, into this arena. We've all been waiting, like for years, we've been waiting. Why, you know, I get the request all the time. Well, when is your platform going to be available for iOS? I'm like, I, I don't know what to tell you. 
<laughs> you know, it's not me. I, I'm not the one holding this up. They just, we're not going to build a mobile app just so we can voice enable it with a bunch of stuff that the user has to do themselves. Right. I mean, it's very it's not inconsequential for users to be able to set up these shortcuts and all the things that they have to do just to get a mobile app to wake up by voice. Right? And and so that's that's not our direction. We don't we don't want to be in the mobile space and just voice enable stuff. We want to be in the voice first space. And and Apple just wasn't really making a lot of moves in that direction other than those that forward their music interest, right? So the home pod. Um, but I'm really, I'm, I'm glad to see that they're taking steps in that direction now. I mean, I don't know that any of us thought that they were just going to sit and spin in this holding pattern forever. So I think it was just a matter of time um, and finding the right partner for this. I think they've, they've made a pretty good acquisition in this. Um, not expecting to see the kind of velocity of change that we've watched Amazon and Google have over the last couple of years. I think it's going to take a while. You know, we just got done talking about acquisitions and how you have to absorb them. And I think this is, this is one of those cases where you have to look at this and say, okay, will they do better for us if we leave them alone? Or do we need to change our whole culture to be more like this? And, and what's going to get us to where we want to go? And I don't know that I really know where that is yet. Um, I hope it's not. I hope where they want to go isn't where they are now, just, you know, more of it. Um, but, I, you know, they, they need to look at where they want to go and which of these two routes is the best way to get them there. And, you know... They know their internal culture better. Um, obviously, that's going to be a huge issue for them, whether they just absorb that and then uh, assimilate the, the pull string folks into their culture or whether they try to make that shift, um, leave the pull string folks alone and just offload all of the voice first direction to them. So I think it's going to be interesting over the next year to see what really is going on with that. Um, I'm just glad that they're doing something, that they're making a move into a, a proper voice first direction. Complete agreement. Yeah, I'm down with that. You know, it's it's good to see them do to affirmatively, proactively make a move. And um Holstring is no slouch. You know, these guys, um, you know, Oren Jacob, smart guy, Michael Fitzpatrick, smart guy. Um, you know, they, um, uh, they've got the capability to, um, to add a lot of value if Apple will allow it. Exactly. You're right. We really don't know, um, you know, if Apple hasn't prioritized it in the past um, and they haven't understood it in the past and they failed to execute in the past. Um, then sort of a state of show me, you know, you gotta, yeah. you gotta show me what you're going to do. Um, and, um, so we'll see. Um, one thing that stood out about this and doing the research for this, um, Brett Kinsella's piece for VoiceBot has a totally different purchase price then another article I read, and I don't even know if he's aware of this. Um, I read an article that said they got bought for a hundred million, and um, you know, which would mean um, a number of different things. Um, you know, but for uh, Brett Kinsella's article, he says that they were bought for thirty million, which was less than the amount they fundraised. Which I thought that was interesting. Um, and most of the articles I saw were hedging their bets saying somewhere between 30 million and a hundred million, because you know, nobody, nobody really has a good beat on that right now. So yeah. Um, you know, I could see, I could see something closer to the hundred million because the potential upside for Apple is, is huge here. Um, there's implications with the, with whatever the true, the true purchase price here becomes important because if they're, if they're buying it, for less money than the investors put in at first, 
then it becomes much more likely that it's an aqua hire sort of just suck it up, you know, and, and continue to do business as usual. Whereas if it's a higher purchase price, then obviously there's a premium that Apple is showing that they're putting on this right. and a premium they're putting on what Pullstring has done th- thus far. And they're less likely to uh, interfere. You know, there's, there's big implications with that knowledge. And um, I'm inclined, I'm, I'm more than inclined. I'm going to believe what Brett Kinsella reports uh, over anybody else. But um, it's interesting to see this vastly different reporting across different sources. So. Yep, I agree. Um, but all will become clear soon, as it often does with Apple. We'll, uh, we'll see what happens with that. Moving on to story number three from VentureBeat. Could hackers trick voice assistants into committing fraud? Researchers say yes. So this is right up your alley. Um, you know, this is something that you probably get asked about. All the time. Literally every day of, the, every, of every week. Um, what do you think about, you know, there, this, this article sort of presents um, its own story. You know, you can feel free to comment on that, but also just more broadly, um, what in your estimation, from where you sit, your perspective, all that you do, Elizabeth, what is the state of security of these ecosystems? Share, share it with us. So after spending two years in this environment, um, trying to make sure that the entire ecosystem is secure enough that we can um, allow people to do these banking transactions. Um, I, I have to say that uh, while we certainly are looking forward to implementing more security measures and a number of people are working on different ways to do that, um, and there's some really interesting work being done in that space, um, you know, I just feel like the examples in that article specifically were so much work for so little reward that I can't imagine from an educational, academic, theoretical, could it happen perspective? Yes. And should we all pay attention to that to make sure that we are um, working ahead of that curve? Absolutely. Um, do I think anybody should be panicking right now that somebody is going to embed a subsonic command string into their audio file that they hope they can get you to play in hopes that they can get you to unlock the door to your house? I mean, I just don't, I don't see um, an actual threat scenario there that the average person needs to worry about. Um, what I do see is something down the road that um, I've been contemplating for a while. And that is the idea that when you're in an autonomous car, and, and this is even this is, is down the road because we're not all just hopping in autonomous cars today and driving off. But when you do, it only makes sense that the way you interact with your autonomous car is by voice, right? Nobody's gonna get in an autonomous car that's gonna take them someplace and put stuff into a, a keyboard, right? And so that's where I see a potential um, for some of these particular threats. Um, this whole idea of embedding something into the sound stream and then getting it to play commands that only your AI can hear. Um, and and there's, there's a lot of ways that you could maliciously use that. I mean, think about an autonomous um, uh, armored car, right? And hijack the armored car. And now there's some reward for that level of effort that you're putting in. Um, so I don't, I think there are some things that should probably just never be voice enabled. And that might be a little heretical from somebody who's in the industry. But yeah, there are just some things that we should probably never let be controlled by voice because there are things that we may not ever be able to lock down about that. But for the most part, for the average user with voice technology in their homes, I'm no more concerned about this 
type of um, malicious activity than I was, uh, you know, before I read the article. So again, it's, it's academic, it's theoretical, and I think that there should be people paying attention to it, and I know that there are. Um, but from my perspective, if somebody manages to get a hold of what they need to make your voice device do a banking transaction, you have bigger problems because they're probably just going to go hack your online banking or maybe do a wire transfer out of your account. I mean, there's a lot of threat vectors that are not the device in your home. And I'm, I, don't, I don't have big concerns about people's home-based devices um, or even really their automobile voice devices in terms of the, the threat to fraud or uh, anything along those lines, theft. I, again, I think there's just, you have to look at the amount of effort that somebody has to put in for the reward that they're getting. And, you know, it's the difference between picking somebody's pocket in a crowd and stealing an armored car, right? My Alexa and Google Home devices in, in my house are, you know, kind of the armored car end of that spectrum. And, or, I mean, I'm sorry, they're kind of the pickpocket end of that spectrum, right? Even if somebody gets access to it, what they can really do is, is pretty minimal right now. As we expand what our voice platform allows people to do, we are planning, we are planning ahead with reserve for future functionality, um, the ability to implement multi-factor authentication. We are working with a company that provides a blockchain-based identity solutions that can be enabled to use with the voice solution. Um, much lower friction than a typical MFA you know, text you the code, have you say it or type it or something like that. So we're looking at a lot of solutions um, going forward that will continue to expand the security of our product. And I know um, everybody who's in this space is, is doing that as well. Um, but this was just not a huge concern for me personally for what I'm working on right now. All right. No, that's fair enough. Uh... I uh, I like the idea of an autonomous armored vehicle. It sounds like something out of out of a movie. Um, right. You yeah. know, protected uh, by Yeah, exactly. Um, I think what you're hitting on, you know, is it's sort of a testament to Amazon and Google that you don't keep you don't. What's been the biggest um, fraud that's been committed with a smart speaker? buying a dollhouse yeah you got to sit there and think about that right i mean i have to sit there and think about that i can't really even name nothing um the closest thing would be um you know some of these incidents of uh voice data on someone's alexa ending up in someone else's house like when that couple was talking to themselves and that all that audio ended up in some random other person's house or something I can't get the audio on purpose. I don't know yeah, how to get it accidentally. <laughs> you you got to think hard and really be in the weeds on this to have any sort of example to mention whatsoever. Yeah. And I think um, that um, hopefully that continues because the moment that changes, um, you know, like, for example, the Google and Nest story from earlier. Mm -hmm. All right, we got a microphone sitting in the device. Well, okay, that's not cool, but... There are plausible explanations for it, number one. Number two, um, that's outweighed by the other things that they're doing right. easily. So when you get to, you know, if the story were, um, you know, Nest users were defrauded of $2 billion last week due to hackers, now you've got, you know, people returning uh, anything with Google Assistant in it. Now you've got people, um, you know, making choices in the voice assistant, you know, voice first landscape um, that they weren't probably making before. And uh, you know that both of these companies and, you know, as Samsung comes online, as Apple starts to do more and what Microsoft's doing, um, you know, in, in the corporate world, 
uh, with Cortana, um, I don't think there's any higher priority than making sure no no messed up stuff happens with people's accounts or that people aren't defrauded. Um, one thing uh, stood out in this article, um, and I didn't know this. Somebody hacked Alexa to announce a North Korean missile attack. <laughs> uh, you know, that brings up an interesting point because I was thinking about this as, as I was reading through these articles. Um, people make a lot of claims about things that, that have happened. Um, but I don't really know that there's a, a process or a mechanism for vetting these stories. What we really want to be able to do is forensically investigate how these things happened. Now, maybe Amazon is doing that and Google is doing that on the back end. They have access to information that you and I will never know about or never be able to get access to. I would like to think that somebody is back there dissecting these incidents and able to explain to us at some point, or at least to their internal organizations, you know, what happened, how it happened, how do we prevent it from happening? Because well, I, think I have got- no idea how I would go about hacking somebody else's device to play an audio file that they didn't request. Uh, sure. And I think we, um, for better or worse, got a glimpse of how that's going to go with how Amazon handled um, that incident where all of that audio in one house ended up in some random person, right. you know, just some contact that they had. It was someone they knew. It just wasn't someone they knew well, and and they had access to all of that audio. You know, Amazon's explanation was um, along the lines of, um, "Sorry, uh, sorry, uh, but it's not ha- it's not ever going to happen again." Right. Um, well, when you think about the sequence of events, it's not inconceivable that they said something that the voice AI interpreted as message. And yeah. that that there was then a name that was mentioned and the contact list that is accessible, it probably had that name in it, you know, and then from there, it's just recording stuff. Um, well, but, you know, there's there's a series of checks and balances that go on in that process. So is it possible that they inadvertently hit all of those checks and balances? Yeah. Um, well, not point. as likely. It would be nice if Amazon would would tell us, but they're never going to do that. The um, the interesting thing here to me is that, and you've got a front row seat for the, for what you're doing as well, being involved in banking and, and finance. Um, right now, you've got these these disparate pieces of the puzzle that are not united. Um, you know, if, if whatever electronics I have in my car for the vast majority of the population, it's not tied to what's going on in your house, unless it's a, a, you know, some sort of trivial way, perhaps, um, what's going on, um, in one room of your house, you know, yeah, people have connected homes and everything, but in terms of the voice landscape, if I ask Alexa to do something, you know, in my bathroom, play a song in the kitchen, yeah, maybe it remembers it or maybe it doesn't. All of this is going to change to where your, you know, your bank and your car and your house, every room of your house, um, your mobile, everything's going to be tied together much, much more coherently. And that's where I think the incentives rise for hackers to penetrate these systems because mm-hmm. right now, you know, we give Amazon and Google the credit, like I just did a minute ago for there not being uh, a, um, a flagship incident uh, that we can all hang our hat on and say, right. boy, you screwed that up. Um, let's see if we could not do that again. Right. Um, there hasn't been that, but just as much as we give those companies credit for avoiding it, we also have to realize that, the incentives are for um, these attacks are just going to rise and they're going to rise a lot um, real quick. 
as this convergence takes place. So it's it's interesting to see articles like this. It is academic in nature, but it's something that I like to bring up on this show from time to time, articles like this, because it's something that you just, you know, my opinion, clearly yours too, got to be thinking about. Any closing thoughts on that? You know, as much as I love voice and I surround myself with it, I just, there are some things that just aren't a valid use case for being voice enabled. And I think right now, every time something new comes out, we all want to experiment with it. We all want to try it out. We all want to see if it, if we can give it legs, right? But I honestly don't envision a use case for, say, locking and unlocking my front door by voice. Now, I might be in the minority, but as I think through that invi- through that process, there's just not enough friction there to make me want to voice enable my front door. Right? That's an interesting so, one. How, how about fire the nuke? Uh, <laughs> no, that yeah, probably doesn't need to be voice. Let's not do that either, okay? <laughs> let's continue to turn to keys or put in codes or all of that kind of stuff, right? Sure. I mean, there are just some things that, that need a human to lay hands on them. Um, just because I, I'm, I'm a big fan of, of this mantra, just because you can do something doesn't mean you should. And I think as we go forward with proliferating voice technology, that's something that we should all keep in mind. Just because I can voice enable something doesn't mean I should. If I can reduce friction of something that someone does a lot, if I can make it easier or faster or more accessible, right, whether that's um, accessible for the visually impaired or accessible for the visually Im- or the physically impaired by voice enabling it, then then there might be a use case there. But for me, I will probably not ever voice enable my front door or my garage door for that matter, or anything that would um, potentially in the future create a vector where somebody might be able to manipulate that. So I think that's, that's just my closing uh, point. Um, and it's sort of for everybody in our industry is just because you can doesn't mean you should. So let's all use some common sense when we put voice into things. Well said. Well said. We will move on to story number four. So we made a little bit of news this week. Uh, story number four is introducing voicefirst.community, the trade yeah. association for voice. So last night I posted an article to LinkedIn, uh, that's the normal place I like to post articles um, or in announcements of different types, and um, announced that Pete Erickson, founder of Modev, creator of the Voice Summit coming up in July, July 22nd through the 26th in Newark, New Jersey. Get registered for it if you haven't already. Um, we have co-founded this trade association called VoiceFirst.Community. And the point of it is to generally advocate for and promote um, the shared interests of this young voice first community. So, you know, who is that? That's the, the question where, you know, we get asked, you know, in, in, in some of the talks we've already had, who, who is that? Well, it's everybody. Who, who, who's interested in the web? Everybody. So who's interested in voice? Yeah, that same everybody. Everybody from Amazon and Google and Microsoft and Samsung and Apple and Mycroft, anybody creating voice assistants, smart speakers, um, any software or hardware that plays in that landscape, um, the technology companies that are supporting that, doing complementary things, uh, such as a best innovation group, for example, um, all the way down to individuals, uh, individual people uh, and or in small businesses um, of different types that are um, testing the waters, that are uh, getting into voice, that are seeing what it can do for them and how they need to extend their products and services into the space. Um, everybody's got a lot of the same interests and the article walks through some of them. Uh, you can read it if you're interested. Um, Elizabeth, I want to get your thoughts you know, we talked a little bit about it before the show, um, you know, sh- share with me in the audience, you know, uh, obviously uh, be kind. You're talking to a co-creator of this <laughs> right now. Um, but, uh, you know, uh, 
did anything stick out to you um, about this uh, that you thought was potentially more valuable than the other parts? What was your uh, thoughts as you looked at this announcement that we made? Well, first of all, I am so excited to see somebody stepping up so early in the evolution of this technology. Um, And of course, when you look at the broader voice recognition, speech recognition technology, that's decades old. But what I'm talking about is our current voice first movement. I'm so excited to see um, prominent people in our industry stepping up to create this now. Because I think one of the things that you see as you look back over the history of technology is that the technology always precedes the regulation. And in the absence of of regulation, well, sometimes we can be a little bit wild west, right? And so I thought it was interesting that you mentioned um, the internet. If we look back to the early days of the internet, there was some wild west stuff going on, right? People making land grabs for domain names and, and the disputes that would arise out of that. And, hey, you can't have that domain because that's my trademark and things like that. And so I'd like to see us learning from previous iterations of of these kinds of new universes and and jumping in early like you have and really applying some of the lessons learned from history right so um this whole idea of of domain names is one that i've kind of been very sensitive to for a while as we try to name uh, skills and name actions um our clients tend to um be regional. And so we have many clients that have pretty much the same name. And that puts me in a little bit of a bind because I can't create, you know, seven heritage federal credit union skills, right? I have to find a way to equitably (laughs) assign those names. And, And so I just see a lot of all upside, no downside to you guys starting this activity right now. And I think that the other thing that we've seen throughout history is that when industries don't police themselves, the government will gladly step in and do it for us. And so by being proactive like this, I think you're heading off a lot of potential conflict between industry and government in the future. So I'm really excited to hear about the things that you guys are doing. I know that you're going to be, among other things, very vertically focused um, in your information gathering and, and your efforts. So I'm, I'm really happy about that um, because I know that there are things to these verticals that are unique in their, in their world. And I understand that. There are also a lot of things that they need that are common across the entire space. So I think by, by focusing your, your efforts up to this small group that you're starting with and having good visibility to the things that are more granular, I, I think it can, it can only help. And, and it's a great recipe for success that you guys are starting out on early. We appreciate that. I mean, we're, uh, we're excited about it. Um, it's, um, it feels like the right time. Um, you know, we're, um, you know, voice has got this sort of way of, it's got its own, uh, drumbeat, um, mm-hmm. its own cadence, um, its own March. And, um, according to that cadence and that timing, um, you know, we're, we're out of the time now where, you know, nobody, even the staunchest person that hates, you know, the technology for whatever reason that may be, they're not making the argument that it's a fad. That argument's gone. They're making other arguments like it's not private or it's not secure, or I just would rather do this other interface or or whatever. So, um, you know, it, the timing feels right in terms of we've seen multiple cycles now of um, huge waves of adoption, um, you know, through Amazon selling over Christmas, you know, Amazon and Google both, 
um, you know, or, or Prime Day, you know, and all the sales and Echo devices being three or four of the top 10 devices on Prime Day or something. Um, you know, all the evidence is there to show that uh, the, the hunger and demand is there for the technology. And yet, you're right, you don't hear what government, name, name a governmental official that's talked about a smart speaker. The closest thing is Trump mentioning AI, which happened a week or so ago. Um, but even then, that's just him reading something. You know, like that's not a that's not a personal opinion. Yeah. Well, whether you like him or not, it's irrelevant. It, the fact the fact is, he, he you know, the, that doesn't there's not a lot of depth to that knowledge. So, you know, the, the, the government, um, you know, doesn't has not um, turned its gaze to this landscape yet right. um and um it's interesting to think about what will happen when they do and you know one of the things i point out in the article is is ratings um and it's interesting to think about you know the the work that you do from best innovation group standpoint you're out there talking to credit unions talking to banks and financial institutions about using your platform well, the last thing you would want is for some credit union to decide, ah, no, we're going to pass um, because there's concerns about content and there's concerns that people aren't using smart speakers uh, the way there's, the adoption is not what it should be because people can't trust content that's, you know, that has nothing to do at all with you. Right. It's just um, an element of the platform that can't be allowed to introduce, you know, that uh, some people are keeping out of the home. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that, um, we haven't gotten to that sort of conversation yet, um, but it's coming. And, um, and so that's one example among many, I mean, there's a lot of things that we're going to try to take on and, um, you know, we, we want to not rush, you know, we're going to put our shoes on one, one foot at a time. We're going to take one step at a time. We're going to do one thing at a time, um, and, until this thing gets rolling. But, um, I appreciate that and, and appreciate you allowing me to throw that on the docket um, because we want to make sure people know about it, um, because we want to get as many people involved as we can. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you put it on there because, uh, you know, like I said, I'm, I'm really excited about it and anxious to see where it goes. I appreciate that. Elizabeth, thank you for the time. Thank you for setting this time aside. Thank you for sharing your time, sharing your experience and your expertise with not just me, but the audience as well. It's greatly appreciated. Thanks for having me. I appreciate the call. For This Week in Voice, Season 3, Episode 15. Thank you for listening, and in this case, watching. Until next time.